Well, hey, everybody, I'm Adam Schell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to this episode of our sermon podcast. In this episode of our podcast, we are continuing on in our sermon series called Moving Forward. And throughout this series, we're talking about what you can do whenever you face periods of transition or change to help ease that time in your life. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about something that I have learned from all of the traveling that I've done in my life. And that's the fact that there is no such thing as a perfect trip. That's true when it comes to the transitions and changes that we face in our lives as well. None of them are going to go perfectly. But if we want to make it through, there is something that you can do right now that will help you prepare for any changes, any transitions you might face in your life. That's what we're talking about in this sermon. So let's get right to it. So just about every summer, Ashley, Hannah, and I take a big trip. This is actually something that Ashley and I have been doing since we first got married. So over the years, we have been able to travel to a lot of different places. We've been to big cities, and we've stopped in some smaller towns. We've been to amusement parks, and we've been to national parks. We've been to historical destinations, and we've been to new attractions. But whenever we are getting ready for our next big trip, the first thing that we have to do is figure out where we're going. Now, this past summer, when we started thinking about where we wanted to go on our trip, we initially talked about taking a massive road trip out west where we would visit national parks from Colorado all the way to Montana. But the more we thought about that, the more we realized that we would end up spending most of our time sitting in a car instead of actually enjoying any of those destinations. So we decided to change plans. And since we knew that Hannah was going to be going into school where she was going to be learning more about American history this year, we decided that we wanted to take our big summer vacation and visit a couple of the most important cities in the history of the United States. So we ended up deciding that we were going to visit our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., and Philadelphia. But figuring out where you want to go on vacation or when you take a big trip is usually the easy part. It's after you figure out where you want to go on a big trip that the hard work begins. Because once you know where you want to go, then you have to figure out where you're going to stay and book your hotel rooms. You've got to figure out how you're going to get there so you make those travel accommodations. And you also have to figure out what exactly you're going to do in any of those destinations. And when it comes to places like Washington, D.C. and Philadelphia right now, that means that you need to make some reservations. Like for us, when we made the decision that we were going to be visiting D.C. this summer, we knew that one of the things we wanted to do while we were there was to try to visit the White House. But it's not like you can just walk up to the front door at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, knock on it, and expect the president to open the door for you. No, if you want to tour the White House, you have to reach out to one of your senators or representatives months in advance and hope that you're fortunate enough to get one of these tours scheduled. And we were. We were able to go and tour the White House when we were in D.C. this summer. We were even able to see the the First Lady from about six feet away. So that was a pretty cool experience for us. But coming up with your itinerary and making your travel plans, figuring out where you're going to stay, that's only part of the planning that goes into a vacation. Because for my family, once we've decided where we're going, where we're staying, what we're doing, then we have to figure out where we're going to eat. I mean, I am a good Baptist, so food is always important to me. And when you visit a place like Philadelphia, a place that is famous for a particular type of food, well, you know I had to find some places where we could try some cheesesteaks while we were in the city of brotherly love. So I think while we were there, I ate four different cheesesteaks. So if you're ever visiting Philadelphia and you need some recommendations, I'm happy to pass those along to you. 
But then, you know, once you've done all of that work and your trip is only a few days away, that's when it's time for you to start packing. And for us, that means that we're going to pull out our phones, we're going to look at the weather forecast for the cities that we're going to be visiting so we know exactly what kind of clothing to pack, along with all of the rest of the necessities. Because there's nothing worse than going on a dream vacation only to realize that you forgot to pack your cell phone charger or that you left your deodorant at home. And yes, I can tell you that from firsthand experience. But once you have done all of those things, that's when you finally get to take your trip. That's when you finally get to go on vacation. That's when you get to move forward with everything that you planned. Now, this is kind of the point that we're at at Melbourne Heights right now. Because in November of 2017, our church had to make a difficult decision. We figured that the only way that we could continue to follow God's calling for our church, to be who God calls us to be, to do what God calls us to do, was to sell our old property, the place our church had called home, for six decades and relocate. And that was when we decided go on this journey together. And over the course of the last five years, we have spent a lot of time planning, a lot of time preparing, as we've been working toward finding the next place that our church will call home. But now we know where we're going. We'll soon have the keys in hands. We'll soon have everything that we do as a church happening together under one roof again. And that is really, really exciting for us. But before we can move forward as a church, there's some things that we need to do to prepare ourselves for whatever lies ahead. Because if there is one thing that I have learned from all of the traveling that I've done over the years, it's this. There is no such thing as a perfect trip. There isn't. There is no such thing as a perfect trip. It doesn't matter how much planning you do. There is no such thing as a perfect trip. It doesn't matter how much time you have to prepare. There is no such thing as a perfect trip. It doesn't matter how many lists you make or even if you check them twice. There is no such thing as a perfect trip. And I can tell you this because I have been on trips where my luggage has been lost and didn't show up for at least a couple of days after I got back. I've been on trips where I've got a flat tire in the middle of the night, in the middle of nowhere, and had to change, put on that spare tire when it was pitch black outside. I've been on trips, like I told you a minute ago, where I forgot to pack my cell phone charger or left the deodorant sitting in my bathroom at home. So I can tell you that there is no such thing as a perfect trip. And that means that as we look forward to our future as a church, I can tell you that not everything is going to be perfect as we enter into that future. So there's some things that we can do right now to prepare ourselves for whatever the future may hold. And to help us do that today, I want us to take a look at one particular story from the Bible about somebody else who is facing a time of transition. And I want us to see what we can learn from this person's story. So if you've got a Bible close by, let me encourage you to grab it and turn to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. But as you are finding Daniel chapter 6, I actually want to read a couple of verses to you from earlier in the book of Daniel, just to set the stage for what else is going to play out in this book. So with that in mind, I'm going to read to you a little bit from Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Here's what it says. It says, In the third year of the rule of Judas king, Jehoiakim, which was around 605 B.C., Babylon's king, Nebuchadnezzar, came to Jerusalem and attacked 
the Lord handed Judas King Jehoiakim over to Nebuchadnezzar. Now, whenever Babylon conquered another nation, Babylon's king, Nebuchadnezzar, he wanted to assert his dominance over his new people. So what that means is that whenever Babylon invaded and conquered a new place, Nebuchadnezzar would decide to take the, some of the best and brightest young men from that country, some of the most beautiful women from the country they had just conquered, and he would have them taken back to his capital city. And that's exactly what happens after Nebuchadnezzar has Babylon invade and conquer Judah. And we'll see how that plays out, picking back up in verse 3, which says, Nebuchadnezzar instructed his highest official, Ashkenaz, to choose royal descendants and members of the ruling class from the Israelites, good-looking young men without defects, skilled in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, conversant with learning, and capable of serving in the king's palace. Ashkenaz was to teach them for three years, so that at the end of that time they could serve before the king. Among these young men from the Judeans was Daniel. All right, so like I said just a minute ago, these verses that we just read, they set the stage for everything else that's going to play out inside the book of Daniel. So what do we learn from these couple of verses? Well, we learn that Daniel's home nation has been invaded by the Babylonians, and they've been conquered by the Babylonians. We learn that Daniel is among those people who is selected, who is hauled away from the only home that he has ever known, taken to the capital of Babylon so that he can be trained so that hopefully one day Daniel will serve the exact same king that just invaded and conquered his whole country. So, just from these couple of verses, it's safe for us to say that Daniel is facing a pretty big transition. I mean, he has just been taken away from the only home that he has ever known. Daniel is essentially a prisoner of war. So Daniel has no idea what the future holds for him. While Daniel's life is moving forward in an unexpected way, Daniel makes a commitment that would shape his future forever. And that's because Daniel committed to follow God. Daniel committed himself to follow God. And there's something that's a big reason why Daniel makes the commitment to follow God that is lying just underneath the surface of the story. But it's something that's really easy for most of us to miss because if we're being completely honest with ourselves, most of us just don't know that much about Israel's history. But about 120 years before Daniel's story begins, there is a major event that happens in Israel's history that is going to help Daniel make this decision, this commitment to follow God. That's because 120 years before Daniel's home nation, The kingdom of Judah is invaded and conquered by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire. There's another empire that invades the northern kingdoms of Israel. Basically does the same thing there that Babylon did to Daniel's time. That nation, that empire, the Assyrian Empire, they invaded, they conquered the northern tribes of Israel. They did the same things there that Babylon did after they conquered the southern kingdoms. empire, the Assyrian Empire, they wanted to take prisoners of war. They wanted to take people and exile them all throughout their empire. But unlike Daniel, who makes this commitment to follow God, no matter what else will happen, these people that were taken by the Assyrian Empire and forced to live in exile, they don't seem to keep their faith. So rather than standing out in these new places that they're forced to call home, 
they assimilate into the cultures instead. And because of that, because they assimilate into the places that they're living, their faith is lost. But their faith isn't just lost to them as individuals. Their faith is lost to history. Daniel knows all of this long before he is ever taken as a prisoner of war, forced to live in exile in Babylon. Daniel knows what happened to the people that lived just north of him and how their faith had been lost. So Daniel makes this decision that he is going to commit himself to following God no matter what. Because Daniel knows that if he doesn't, then his faith, his religion, will be lost as well. Or to put it another way, if Daniel didn't keep his faith, there would be no faith left to keep. If Daniel didn't keep his faith, then there would be no faith left to keep. So Daniel commits himself to follow God no matter what may happen in his life. And as we start reading in Daniel chapter 6, we're going to see how this commitment plays out for him. But before we pick up in Daniel 6, there's one more historical point that I need to mention here, just so everything makes sense to you. So we started out by talking about Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire. Well, when we pick up in Daniel 6, we're going to be reading about King Darius and the Persian Empire. And the reason for that is somewhere between Daniel chapter 1 and Daniel chapter 6, the Persian Empire invades Babylon and takes over. All right, so with all of that in mind, let's take a look at Daniel chapter 6 together. We'll start reading in verse 1. Here's what it says. It says, Darius decided to appoint 120 chief administrators throughout the kingdom and set over them three main officers to whom they would report so that the king wouldn't have to be bothered with this too much. One of these main officers was Daniel. Because of his extraordinary spirit, Daniel soon surpassed the other officers and chief administrators, so much so that the king had plans to set him over the entire kingdom. So from those couple of verses, it sounds like everything is going pretty good for Daniel, right? I mean, Daniel is one of the king's chief advisors, and he's doing so well in that role as a chief advisor that King Darius is thinking about appointing Daniel to be in charge of everything that happens in his entire empire. So it seems like Daniel's commitment to follow God is really paying off for him, doesn't it? Well, unfortunately, there's still more to this story. So let's pick back up in verse 4, and we'll see what happens next. Here's what it says. It says, as a result of Daniel's success, the other officers and the chief administrators tried to find some problem with Daniel's work for the kingdom. But they couldn't find any problem or corruption at all because Daniel was trustworthy. He wasn't guilty of any negligence or corruption. So these men said, we won't find any fault in Daniel unless we can find something to use against him from his religious practice. All right, so these other advisors and officers, they are jealous of Daniel's success. And they decide that they have to do something about it. But the problem is that they know that Daniel is upright, that Daniel is blameless, and they're not going to find anything in him because he is above reproach. That is, unless they find some way that they can take advantage of Daniel's commitment to follow his God. So these other chief advisors to the king, they come up with a plan. And they decide that they're going to go before King Darius, and they're going to convince Darius to order to issue a royal edict, a royal law that says that 
no one in all of Persia is allowed to worship anyone or anything besides Darius. And they do this because they know that there is no way that Daniel is going to forsake his commitment to follow his God. So they know that Daniel will break that royal edict. And as soon as King Darius signs this edict, places it, and makes it law, that's exactly what happens. Daniel goes home. And he goes out on his balcony where everyone in the city can see him. And he starts praying to and praising his God. And, of course, this is what the other royal officials knew he was going to do. So they're just camped out outside of his house watching and waiting for Daniel to start worshiping his God instead of worshiping King Darius. And as soon as they see Daniel praising and praying to his God, they go in. They haul Daniel out of his house. They bring him before King Darius. And they force Darius' hand. They say, Darius, you just made this royal edict. You just said that no one in all of Persia can worship anyone or anything besides you. But Daniel's over here worshiping his God. So he has to be punished. And the punishment that you decreed inside of your royal edict is that anyone who worshiped anyone or anything besides you is to be thrown into the lion's den. From there, we'll pick back up in verse 14 of Daniel chapter 6. And we'll see what happens next. Here's what it says. It says, when the king heard this report, he was very unhappy. He decided to rescue Daniel and did everything that he could do to save Daniel before the sun went down. But these men, they all ganged up together. They came and they said to the king, you must realize your majesty that the law of Medea and Persia, including every law and edict the king has issued, cannot be changed. So the king gave them order. And they brought Daniel and they hurled him into the pit of lions. King said to Daniel, your God, the one you serve so consistently, will rescue you. A single stone was brought and was placed over the entrance to the pit. The king sealed it with his own ring and with those of his princes so that Daniel's situation couldn't be changed. The king then went home to his palace and he fasted throughout the night. No pleasures were brought to him and he couldn't sleep. And died the first sign of life. The king rose and he rushed to the lion's den. As he approached it, he called out to Daniel, worried, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, the one you serve so consistently, able to rescue you from the lions? Then Daniel answered the king, Long live the king, my God. Sent his messenger who shut the lions' mouths. They haven't touched me because I was judged innocent before my God. I haven't done anything wrong to you either, your majesty. The king was thrilled. He commanded that Daniel be brought up out of the pit, and Daniel was lifted out. Not a scratch was found on him because he trusted in his God. Then King Darius wrote the following decree to all the peoples, nations, and languages inhabiting the entire earth. I wish you much peace. I now issue this command in every region of my kingdom. All people must fear and revere Daniel's God because he is the living God. God stands firm forever. His kingdom is indestructible. God's rule will last until the end of time. He is rescuer and savior. God performs signs and miracles in heaven and on earth. And here's the proof. Rescue Daniel. I just want to pause and I want to share those last couple of verses with you because they are so important to this story. I want to share it with you one more time and I want you to realize what's happening here. 
The person who is speaking in these last couple of verses is King Darius. The same king that just issued an edict that said that he was the only one in all of Persia that was worthy of being worshipped. But this is what Darius says at the end of the story about Daniel's God. Says he is the living God. God stands firm forever. His kingdom, his kingship is indestructible. God's rule will last until the end of time. He is rescuer and savior. God performs signs and miracles in heaven and on earth. And here's the proof. He rescued Daniel from the lion's power. As we move forward as a church, whenever you face any time of change and transition in your life, you need to remember the words that King Darius spoke. Because our God, our God is a living God. Our God stands firm forever. Our God is indestructible. Our God is our rescuer and our savior. Our God is capable of doing anything that our God decides to do. Daniel realized this. And Daniel realizes long before the Babylonian Empire ever invaded the place that he lived. Daniel realized who God is. And Daniel committed himself to follow God no matter what. So when Babylon invaded, bad things started happening in his life. Daniel's faith never wavered. He continued to trust in God. He continued to remain faithful to God. He continued to follow God because Daniel knew that if he remained faithful to God, then God would remain faithful to him. The same thing is true for us. If we remain faithful to God, God will remain faithful to us. If we remain faithful to God, then God will remain faithful to us. But that's not a commitment that you can make. When everything in your life is turned upside down and everything seems to be going the wrong way. This isn't a decision that you need to make in life when you're facing all sorts of changes and transitions. This is a decision that you need to make where you are right now. Because if you commit to God right now, it doesn't matter what changes and transitions will happen. It doesn't matter if your life gets turned upside down or how many things go wrong. Continue to put your faith in God. Continue to follow God. And if you're willing to do that, it might just seem that your life does the same thing to others that Daniel's life did for King Darius. Daniel's life inspired King Darius to follow God too. And if you remain committed to God, no matter what life faith will inspire those around you to trust in God as well. Let's pray together. God, as we come to you in this word of prayer, we're just so thankful for the story of Daniel, God. Because Daniel faced so many changes, so many transitions in his life, God. But through it all, he remained committed to you. God, may each of us 
May we make the decision right now that we want to trust the one true God, the God who is God over all, the God who is our rescuer and our Savior, the God who is indestructible, the God who is capable of doing anything that you desire to do. May we each commit to follow you, no matter what may happen in our lives, knowing that if we remain faithful to you, you will remain faithful to us. You will help us face and overcome whatever obstacles may lay ahead. Help us trust you. Help us to follow you. Help us to be committed to you, no matter what. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that this episode has inspired you to commit yourself to follow God no matter what. Because when you do, when you commit yourself to following God, when you commit yourself to putting your faith and your trust in God, God's going to help you make it through any changes or transitions you face in your life. Well, in our next episode, we're going to continue on in the sermon series where we're learning lessons that can help us whenever we face changes or transitions in our life. So we hope that you'll come back and join us when that next episode drops next Tuesday morning. As always, if you subscribe to our podcast, it will be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. But also remember, you don't have to wait till next Tuesday to join us. You're always invited to come and worship with us online on Sunday mornings. We worship at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time, and you can join us on our church website at mhbclouisville.com slash live. We would love to have you come and join us. Well, until next time, I'll be praying for you. I hope that you have a great week, and we'll see you back here soon for another sermon podcast.